So I, I mentioned that we will be starting out here in the book of Hebrews, and I don't so much as want to read Hebrews 11. Those of you that might be familiar with it uh, know that this is like the hall of faith, and there's a string of characters throughout uh, God's plan as it unfolds that uh, are people who had great faith. And there's many in between the lines, but if, if you look at these verses, you see uh, at, at the beginning, just about each verse, starting in verse number uh, one, and then verse three, and then continues down, uh, where it just says, by faith, by faith, by faith, over and over, uh, really until you get all the way into uh, verse 29 and 30. And verse 29, it talks about the people by faith cross the Red Sea. Uh, by verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And it's between these verses that we find ourselves in the book of Joshua. But it's still that, that same idea that we're going to look at this morning, that it is by faith uh, that these things happen. And, and what we're going to look in Joshua uh, chapter 1 is is a challenge to our faith. The history of God's people is a story of faith. So, so you can flip over to Joshua 1. Keep your finger in Hebrews. We're going to be back in Hebrews 3, but even if you stick your finger in Hebrews 11, uh, it's hard to read the book of Joshua without reading uh, the book of Hebrews because the author of Hebrews brings Joshua and the events of those stories and Moses into uh, where in Hebrews he shows, hey, this is all pointing to, to the Christ, to Jesus, the Messiah, and he is the fulfillment of all these things. So, but we want to start in, in Joshua 1 here. Um, the people of Israel, they're led out of Egypt. They're wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. That, that's what's leading us up to Joshua chapter 1. They've been waiting for God's promise of a land. A promise that began with Abraham, was reiterated along the way to Abraham's sons, including now reiterated to Joshua at the beginning of the chapter. When God calls out Joshua as his leader, he reissues that promise to Joshua just like he had given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Now he is giving it to Joshua and, 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 the, and the people. I'm gonna, I want to show you a map here. If you're not familiar with the land of Israel, it's the best one that I could find. But you can, you can sort of see this is after the conquest has already happened. So we're, we would have to fast forward into the book of Joshua, which will eventually get there, where the, tri the 12 tribes had the land broken up. And you see, you see a black line that kind of goes right up through the middle there. And on either side, you see the name Manasseh. Uh, the, the, we're going to see that in our text this morning, the half-tribe of Manasseh. So one half is in the promised land, the other half uh, on the east side of that black line, and that black line is the Jordan River. So if you, if you can picture uh, just about uh, where it says Gad there, it's a, a tannish color, um, just on the, if you're right there, just north of the Dead Sea, you see the, the city of Jericho marked and that city we're going to talk about in the coming weeks when we get into chapter 3 and 4. But the people are waiting in that region of Gad, which is not yet 
completely gad yet, okay? It's still yet to be materialized. But they're waiting there, and they're waiting to go into the promised land, to cross over the Jordan. And really, if you can picture it, uh, when the people of Israel, when they come out of Egypt, we understand as we go to the book of Exodus, that's an exodus out of Egypt. They're coming out of the land of Egypt, and God's leading them to a new land. And here, what we have is Joshua 1 begins here this story. It's, a, it's an exodus not out of Egypt, but it is an exodus out of the wilderness into a new land. So you can almost parallel the story of Exodus and the story here of Joshua as almost the same story with different characters, with different people, with, diff- with different leaders. But it's the same God that's leading here. As you come to Joshua 1, and, and in the study of any passage of Scripture, you're always wanting to know, what is the author seeking to convey to us? Why is this written? And, and really, one of the questions that we, we want to ask as, as you do your personal study, as, as we study for sermons and lessons, is to, to look for the parallel in the story. Who, who is our parallel? Now, you come to Joshua 1, and you, in, in a human, humanly speaking sort of way, Joshua is the hero. Okay, we, we know God is there in the background. The Bible's all about God and his story that's unfolding. But Joshua is sort of the hero of the story. He's the leader that God is raising up. And w- when we read this, we're very quick to make Joshua our parallel. And so we come away and we, we say, hey, be like Joshua. Or lead like Joshua. And certainly there might be some settings that we can glean from the way that Joshua led and to make those applications. But when, as we go through this text, as, as Eric read for us, you'll notice that there is only one Joshua. There's only one of him. And if the story is about what I believe it's about, then God is raising up his leader, singular, for his people, plural. Who then is our parallel? Our parallel is the people. Just like they needed a leader, we need a leader. The last couple of weeks, Pastor Adam has talked about transitions and changes. And for Israel, this was a huge leadership change. Hopefully you've picked up on that in the last couple sermons. Going from Moses, who... He was the leader of leaders. I mean, the people were, they they were comfortable with him. They knew him. He led them through the wilderness. And now here is this new guy, Joshua. I mean, he's not really new. He's, He's sort of a leader, but he's not the guy. Big transition for the people. Just about all of us have made some sort of transition in our lives, no matter how old we are, whether it's a new job, a new school, a new house, a new location, you've you made a move, there, there's something that you've made, some kind of transition. And when you're anticipating that transition, it's sort of exciting. Like, oh, what's this going to be like? But I don't know if you ever have that feeling, the closer it gets, all of a sudden you're a little bit more nervous. Hmm, maybe I don't really want to make that transition. What is it going to be like? What is it going to, how, how is this all going to shake out? And you sort of get that nervous feeling that knot in your stomach, like, okay, well, I, I got to do this. Do you think Israel was feeling this when they heard in verse number 11, 
Here's, here's what Joshua says, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Man, for all these years they've been waiting with anticipation. Okay, God has promised us this land. This is good. This is exciting. And now Joshua says, okay, in three days you're going to go in and take possession well, wait a minute, three days. You, you can sense the, the, the nervousness, perhaps, that they would have had. You know, living in the wilderness maybe isn't too bad. We feel pretty comfortable right here. I mean, it's the wilderness, but we've gotten used to it. Do we really want to risk what it's going to take to follow Joshua in this command? Perhaps some of them doubted that this day would ever come. Yeah, we've heard the stories. God's going to bring us into a land. But my whole life has existed and we've just been wandering. Is that land ever going to come? But to realize God's promise, it's going to take faith. Which, really, that's at the heart of our, our series, a conquering faith. That God is going to do something, but the people must believe. And so Joshua isn't just a military leader, he's a faith leader. He's leading the people to believe in God, to trust his promises. His name never appears in Hebrews 11, but his influence is definitely in the events. Who's the leader that led the people to, to the, in the battle of Jericho? It was Joshua. And those people, I find it interesting in that verse that we read in Hebrews 11, it doesn't, it doesn't even name a specific person, but it says in order for, for Jericho to be conquered, there, there had to have been faith. And I think that faith extended not just to the, the great leaders, but to the people. Joshua, though, is tasked with leading God's people to greater faith. And the question that sort of looms over all of this, will the people follow God's leader that he's raising up? Are they going to believe? Are they going to trust him? And it's the same question we must ask ourselves today. The Christian life is a life of faith. It's day-to-day faith. The way to God is by faith. Eternal life comes by faith. And so like the people of Israel, we wait for God's promise to his people to be fulfilled. But we wait for a heavenly land, a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. That's Hebrews 11 and 12. A land where we find eternal rest with God. Yet it's equally easy to doubt, like I'm sure there were some within Israel that did. It's easy to be comfortable with the things of this world, to think that God's promise will never come, or perhaps it's not even worth it. It's not even worth it to believe. People say all the time, I've said it at different times, perhaps you've said it, I'm just struggling in my faith. Struggling to believe. I think a question we could ask, and I want to ask you this morning, who are you following? You see, God's faithfulness to his people is seen in that he always raises up a leader to lead his people to trust in his promises. 
He's raised up prophets. He raised up priests and judges and kings all throughout their history. What was the purpose of them as leaders? It was, it was to lead his people to greater faith in him. And for this moment in Israel's history, Joshua was that leader. He was to lead God's people to greater faith in God's promises. And in fact, as you see on the screen, God's leader will lead God's people to greater faith in God's promises. Except today, we, we aren't following Joshua because a greater leader has come. See, the leaders that God had raised up for, for Israel were types, or maybe you know the word prototypes. They were pictures of what was to come. And the greatest leader would one day come, and God would send Jesus as that ultimate leader for us. And it is him that we follow. So here's our big Big idea today, and out of this idea, we, we, will, we will look at this passage. As we follow God's leader, Jesus, our faith in God's promises will grow. As we follow God's leader, who is Jesus, our faith in God's promises will grow. And, and I notice three areas in which our faith will grow from our text. One, co- confidence, unity, and obedience. Those will be our three points this morning. Let's look at number one, confidence, verses 10 and 11. I already read, really, the, the, most of it is verse 11, but it's Joshua issuing a command to the officers to go in and tell the people to get ready. And, and we know that God answers, or Joshua answers God's call from verses 1 to 9, that's God's call of Joshua. We know that Joshua answers that call because now he commands the people to follow him and to follow what the Lord wants to, to do through him. They are to get their provisions ready because in three days they're passing over the Jordan. Now, if you're thinking and you're putting yourself in that situation, my, my first question would be, how will we cross the Jordan? How are we going to do this? It's not just this trickle of a stream. I don't see, uh, I don't see Aaron Omnis here today, but we went, we went for a hike with him. I don't know why this came into my mind. We went to Sand Run Falls, and he, they took, he took us the back way, and they had been there several times, and there's a couple places you have to cross. And he, over and over, man, this is a lot deeper than it usually is. Usually it's just a trickle, and you just kind of hop across. Uh, and so there's a couple times you come to that stream, and I know Val was thinking, how are we supposed to cross this without getting all wet? Uh, and the answer is, and you can ask him about this, let Aaron fall off a log and just stand in the water and help everybody across. <laughs> but that's going to be the question. How are we going to cross the Jordan, which we're going to get into in chapter 3? And so without stealing too much thunder from that future sermon, let your mind go back to Exodus. Do you remember another sea or another body of water that the people had to cross? They had to cross the Red Sea to come out of Egypt. And what did God do? He miraculously parted the Red Sea. You better believe that Joshua's mind went back to that event. He was there. 
He lived it, and now he is calling the people to follow him out of a confident faith, knowing that God has already done this. He rem- Joshua remembers this well, but he also remembers that the people were quick to forget God's power, which is why they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They, they re- rebelled and rejected God as they, after they crossed that. In fact, in Numbers 14 and verse 30, it tells us that no one from Joshua's generation would live to see the promised land. You got Joshua and Caleb, the faithful spies. They're the only two that are going into the promised land from that generation. So Joshua is leading a whole new generation of people that only has, have had the story of the Red Sea told to them. But he lived it. He walked it. And the question is, will they believe? Will they follow? But you get the sense that Joshua is confident in the Lord's power and provision. He uses the authority given to him by God and issues a command. And here's the command. He says, pass through the midst of the people. In other words, you just, we could just read and gloss over that, but he wants everybody to know. Walk right through the midst of the people. Now, kids, maybe you can relate to this when you're, when you're in school and a teacher calls on you for an answer. Or they say, hey, raise your hand if you know this answer. And you're not so sure about the answer to that question. You know that feeling uh, that, that you, you get? What do we do when we're called on to answer a question that we're really not confident in? We say it kind of soft. So maybe the person on the other side of the room doesn't really hear it in case it's wrong. That's not what Joshua does here. He's confident in what he's wanting the people to hear. He says, pass through the midst of them. And in three days, now there's a side note here. If you, if you did a search on the number of times three days comes up, you might be inclined to see that there's a pattern here that God is establishing in his people. And perhaps even we know that Jesus was three days in the tomb. But nonetheless, we don't have time to get into that. In three days, here, here's what I want us to understand. When you put a time frame on something, you're confident in it. It's not just Joshua saying, hey, at some point you're going to go and take possession of the land. Now he says, in three days. What is he doing? He's prophesying. So before the people, he's saying, look, I want you to follow me and trust me, and now he's hanging his hat on something that God has told him that he is giving that command now to the people. And if in three days that doesn't happen, well, then he would be a false prophet. But Joshua is so confident. Tell all, three days, we're going to take possession in the land. No, one, one other thing to notice in this section um, really throughout the whole, whole of these verses, is how many times it refers to God giving. God is the one that's giving this land, this possession, this rest. God is the one who is providing for this. And so Joshua is emphasizing that his confidence isn't in himself, and it's not in the people, but his confidence is in God. God is going to do this for you. Now, a huge, as we think about this for our own lives, a huge cultural influence that we face when thinking about faith is the object of our faith. Our culture talks about having faith. That's not anything new. If that's all that I'm up here telling you, you hear that all around us in our culture. Have faith, believe. But what does our culture tell us to do? Have faith in our 
selves. We have faith in our abilities. We have faith in our job, in our bank account. We might have faith in, in the next political leader. But be honest with yourself this morning. Do any of those things give you a real confidence? Your bank account could be gone like that. Your job through injury or other situations could be taken away and pulled out from under you. That's why the object of our faith is so important. That a conquering faith must be rooted in something that is true, that is firm, that is sure, something that, that is immovable, that never changes. Jesus uses this example. Build your life on uh, the sand or on the rock. Probably know that kid's song. But the confidence you have in your, in your own home is only as strong as its foundation, which naturally leads us to ask the question, what is the foundation you've built your life on? What are you building your life on today? I'm not asking, do you go to church? I'm not even asking, do you believe in God? I want you to think about your life like the blueprint of a house. Think about all the different rooms in a house. And sometimes I think we, we, we simply put our faith in God in one of these rooms, like it's one among many. Can I ask you just maybe a, an obvious question? If, if that's the way that you view faith in God, just one room in a house, I mean, how big is your faith really going to grow? Probably about the size of the room. See, the issue of faith isn't, do I have God somewhere in my life? The issue of faith is, is God the foundation of my life? And so faith in God is not just a room, but it's actually the, the foundation upon which everything else is built. It's, on, it's the foundation on which all of our life rests. Our life in community, in the school, as in our friends, and our hobbies, and everything rests on our faith. Before we can have confident faith, we need the right foundation. And when we have the right foundation, it means that we are following the right leader. You see, today Joshua is dead and gone. There, there, there is no Joshua but it was never about Joshua. Hebrews 4.18, God has sent us a greater leader, Jesus, and he has answered the call of his father to come into this world and to lead his people like a greater Joshua. And Jesus leads us to confident faith because while we are a whole new generation that hasn't experienced the past miraculous work of God like previous generations, all we hear is the stories but we know that our leader, Jesus, has always been. From eternity past, he created the world. He laid the foundations. He was in the garden with Adam and Eve when they rebelled against God and ate of the fruit. By his power, the Red Sea was parted. By his word, he calmed the storm. He raised the dead. And Jesus says with confidence to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. He says, come to me if you are thirsty and I will give you water of life and you will never thirst again. Come to me and eat because I am the bread of life. Come to me and you will find rest for your soul. And then it's as if he says, and I can deliver because it was by my work on the cross that I have secured all of this for you. Our leader is confident because he accomplished the work for us. You see, what separates Jesus and Joshua is that Joshua is just a man leading people to look to God, whereas Jesus is both man, the leader, and God, the object of our faith. And as you follow Jesus, your faith in God's promises will grow in confidence. Secondly, though, they will grow in unity. Look at verses 12 to 15, and we have this interesting account here that will take some explaining, but it says, And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. So, what is going on in these verses? Well, this, if you want, if you're taking notes, you want to read about this, Numbers 32, Deuteronomy chapter 3, beginning in verse number 12. Uh, There were two and a half tribes out of the twelve that long before this had asked Moses if they might settle in the land of Gilead, east of the Jordan. So, I want to show you the map again that we were looking at and come back to this. You see on the, the right side, the east, you have Manasseh uh, and Gad and Reuben. Those are the two and a half tribes. And before they cross into the promised land, they ask Moses, hey, can we just have this land here? And God grants them that request. But part of the deal is that they had to go into the promised land with their brothers and sisters, with the other tribes, and they had to fight for them. And in verse 13, Joshua calls them to remember the agreement they made. Look, God has graciously graciously given you this land on, on the east. Now I want you to remember that you are called to help your brother until the Lord gives them rest. And I want to talk about unity here, but, but I, I think it would be a mistake to not highlight in just a brief way that the land itself isn't the prize. They possess the land, yes. Okay, He, he says, look, the land is coming. But the land is a means to an end. What if all they got was the land, but no rest? Who wants that land? It's kind of the same thing for for us today. What if all we get is heaven with no rest, with no God? Who wants that? The whole point of getting the land for Israel, just like the eternal land that awaits us, is getting the rest That's why I think verse 13 is worded the way it is. Notice in verse 13, 
The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest. Okay, that, that's what it's all about. And then it's as if he's saying, and that rest comes through the land that I will give you. So after wandering 40 years in the wilderness, maybe you get used to it, but I think at the end of the day, you want rest. You want to stop traveling. Anybody, you ever do extensive traveling, vacations or what, whatever? And you could have a bed in a, in a hotel or whatever the case might be and get some sleep, but it's not like when you get home. There's something about when you get home, it's not just physical rest, but there's a mental rest, there's an emotional rest. And, and here, what we're talking about is all of those things, but also a spiritual rest. The people of Israel had already been following God's law, that, that there was a Sabbath rest. There's one day a week where we set aside for God to rest. They've been following that. It's not a recreational rest, it's a worshipful rest. It was the day of their worship when the works and the cares of this world were set aside and they would draw near to their God and they would live close to him. It's a spiritual refreshing that's happening. And the Sabbath rest is ultimately pointing to a covenant rest where God is dwelling with his people, where they rest under his kingship and they worship him. This is what Joshua is leading the people to. A worshipful rest where God reigns as king. And there is true peace. There is true rest. Sounds a lot like the garden before Adam and Eve sinned, doesn't it? It's kind of what it's all working back to. So Joshua leads the people to unite, getting back to unity here, to unite so that not just some, but all of them can experience this rest. That's what he's calling the people to. He tells these two and a half tribes, look, you're not only thinking about yourselves and saying, hey, uh, I got my land. It's up to everybody else to get their own. No, he's saying, you're to be thinking about the other tribes. Their journey wasn't about what they would possess, but it was helping to ensure that all of God's people were blessed in this way. All of them would receive the rest that God had promised Israel was called to claim the promise as a united people. God was at work through his people, united around his leader. You're all in this together. And as the people recognized Joshua as God's leader, it strengthened their faith in God's promise. You can almost hear them, okay, Moses, our great leader, has died, God, died but God has raised up another leader. And he continues to be faithful to us. Church, the same is true for us today that this same God continues to remain faithful to us. We're not called to live the Christian life alone. Hopefully you've heard that before. This journey is not just a, a singular journey where you're off on your own. It's not, it's not just let me keep my head down and do my thing. It's not let me stay in my lane and other people can do whatever they want. No, Israel was united around one leader. They were committed to each other. Each tribe sought the best for the other tribe. There was no rest for one tribe until there were rest for all of the tribes. And this is the mindset that we ought to have as a church today. 
As we live in relationship with each other, we are to be committed to each other, not to possess a physical land. We're not looking for a physical land or physical blessings, but we're committed to each other to possess the eternal rest, the spiritual conquering that comes in our lives, which all results from faith. Following Jesus leads us into greater unity. He sets this example even in his prayer, John 17, 21, where he prays, and I'm summarizing, Father, may all of them, all of my people, my disciples, my followers, be as one as you and I are one. That was Jesus' heart to, to bring unity. So then we would say disunity comes when we stop following Jesus. We start following someone else. Jesus unifies our faith to believe that rest is available for all of God's people. You see, you and I, we continue to work until all within this body find rest. It's a never-ending journey, this side of death. You might ask, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Turn to Hebrews, Hebrews 3. This is where I want to go. I wish I had more time to just unearth more stuff and the connections from Hebrews 3 and 4 to Joshua, but you can do that on your own. Page 1002. And just notice, I'm, I'm going to jump in the middle here of a, of a quote, Old Testament quote. In verse number 11, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So it's talking about the people that are wandering in the wilderness that God says they are not going to enter my rest because they're under judgment for their rebellion. And that's where the author of Hebrews piggybacks on that. And in verse number 12, this, so what does this mean for the church? Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. What does it look like to, to live in unity and, and, and help one another, but exhort one another every day? As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The church then is, is more than a gathering of individuals. It's a united gathering of God's people with the purpose of pressing each other towards entering the spiritual rest that God has provided. It's a united gathering of God's people with the purpose of sharing the gospel so that those people who have not yet heard would find rest in the Lord Jesus Christ as well. Jesus is leading us to work until the Lord gives rest to our spiritual brothers and sisters, some of whom we don't know yet. I think that's what the Great Commission is, is talking about. Jesus calls us as his followers, just like Joshua is calling the, the, the two and a half tribes, continue to work until all my people have the rest that I have provided. And as you follow Jesus, your faith in God's promises will grow in unity. So we looked at we'll grow in, grow in confidence, we'll grow in unity. Last point, 
this morning, we'll grow in obedience. Look at verses 16 and 18 back in Joshua 1. So after Joshua calls the people, now it's like, well, what are the people going to do? Here's what they say. And they answer Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your word, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. You see, Joshua's leadership was leading the people to obedience. Not just lip service, but to actually to do it. And, and their response echoes that, that heart that is desiring to obey. First they say, all that you, okay? They, they were submitting to all that they had been, been commanded to do. And then they say, wherever you send us. I mean, those are big words. They were willing to go wherever God would direct them. You know, Moses, he was an amazing leader for the people of Israel. But you can't help but think, Joshua sort of breathed a big sigh of relief when, when he heard the beginning of verse 17. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. It's like, all right. The people are on board with this. We're, we're moving forward. The people express their submission to Joshua as the leader. But notice, so long as he was following the Lord, it's not obedience to Joshua but to God himself. And that's in this phrase here, only may the Lord your God be with you. Like we will follow you so long as you're following the Lord. Well, it just so happened that God had promised to Joshua in verse number nine, what does he say at the end? I will be with you wherever you go. And now you have the people saying, as long as God is with you, we will follow you. You see what God is doing? He's reaffirming to Joshua that he is the one that's putting all of this together. The people aren't just following Joshua because he's like a nice guy, because he's a great military leader. They're following Joshua because God is at work in their hearts and lives, and he's working in them to have faith to obey, even to the point where the chapter ends, and again, chapters aren't inspired, but this, this account ends with the very words that God has been impressing on Joshua. Only be strong and courageous. So to Joshua, that's a signal that the people are on the same page with their God. His word is resonating with them. They're reaffirming it back to him. Joshua is the leader, but these are not Joshua's people. They are God's people. And he is at work to bring the people into obedience under his leadership. In verse 18, the people seem very serious about obeying. In fact, whoever rebels against the command and disobeys the words shall be put to death. Look, there's, there's either you're all in, we're all in together, or there's a severe consequence. Now, if we went back to Numbers 32, we don't have time to, to look at that whole passage, but when the two and a half tribes asked for the land on the east side of the Jordan, they made a pledge to help their brothers 
conquer the promised land. And here's the words that Moses says after he accepts the pledge from, from Numbers 32, 23. If you, will do, if you will not do so, in other words, if you're not going to go into the land, behold, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. To not obey was sin and sin would lead to death. Just like Romans 6.23 tells us, the penalty of sin is death. So the one who rebels against God in disobedience here in Joshua chapter 1, we'll find that the result is death. And the same is true for us today. Not just physical death, but a spiritual death, a spiritual separation. Our sin brings about death. Obedient faith, though, is necessary. It's only by faith that our sin can be forgiven. But it's obedient faith that, that, we're, that we're called to. See, true faith will result in obedience. To obey is to believe, and to believe is to obey. You can't have disobedient faith in God. Some of us might try. You can't have obedience in some areas and not the other. I had the blueprint of of the house up. I have here again. Look again. You can't say, there's certain areas that I will be obedient in. Faith in God is one aspect of my life, but the rest I kind of control. No, it must be that our faith is directing all of life and calling us the same as as Israel echoes here. All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Is that the attitude of your heart today? That's what obedient faith looks like. Well, I don't know what the future holds. Well, neither did they. And neither do I. But we're called to obedience in all areas and really an indication of growing faith. Do you want to know, is my faith growing? I think an indication of that is growing in obedience to God in all his commands. None of us arrive in this life where we've got it all figured out. We're all still growing in obedience. We have blind spots. We have areas of our life that we're working through but it's that growing obedience that then leads us to greater faith in God's promises. Jesus, our perfectly obedient leader, leads us to obedience as we follow him in his strength. He's the only one whose obedience was ever perfect. Israel was trusting in Joshua. They were trusting that he would lead them according to God's direction. Only may the Lord your God be with you. That was what they said. And what they were saying was, as he is with you, and as you speak to us his commands, so we will follow both you and him. As I've already mentioned, we know that a greater Joshua has come. And throughout Jesus' ministry, we have God confirming his, his blessing upon his son, Jesus, that he is with Jesus. Notice these words from Matthew 12, 18. He says, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. In other words, God says, like he said to Joshua, I am with him. 
I am with my son, and we can trust in Jesus as God's once-for-all leader for his people. You see, all, all that Moses and Joshua and the prophets and the kings pointed to were but a shadow of the real deal. You know, a shadow is not the real thing, right? It's just a reflection. God has sent his once-for-all leader who is perfectly obedient in every way because he was God in flesh. And our faith is strengthened knowing that Jesus' obedience, his perfect obedience is now credited to my account. And I stand perfect before the Father because of what he has done for me. And then knowing that, now we walk in obedience to his commands. That's always the order of our obedience. Our obedience never leads to being right with God. It always flows out of being right with God. And his commands are not burdensome, but have become the joy of the believer, much like the people of Israel resonated with God's word. His commands and his word now resonate within our hearts and they become the joy, the delight. And our faith grows into more obedience to him. So church, here we wait. We wait in this broken messed up world, this wilderness, wondering when God's promise for rest, true rest, salvation rest, will ever be realized. But Israel could only receive that promise by faith and faith alone. Left to themselves, what would they do? They would languish in the wilderness. They'd still be on the other side of the Jordan. But God raised up a leader who would strengthen their faith and lead them into his promises. Friend, today, who is our parallel in the story? It is the people, and you and I need a leader. Praise God, he has raised up the greatest leader. He has raised up Jesus, and as we look to Jesus, he gives us greater faith, confident, united, obedient faith in God's good promises. We're human. Our faith can waver. We get tossed around at times. But if Christ is our foundation, we will not be shaken. We will not be moved. We will hold fast to the promise until we and our fellow spiritual brothers and sisters all together enter the rest, the eternal land that he has promised. It's why the theme of the series is what you've seen the last couple weeks. A conquering faith is a faith in Christ. He's the only foundation upon which our faith can rest. He's the only leader that will bring life. And so I ask, is is he the leader you're following today? Once again, I'm not asking, do you believe in God? Do you come to church? Do you have a spiritual mind? Are you following the leader that God has given? If you want to grow in your faith, you must look to the leader he has provided. And when we do, your faith will grow because God's leader will lead God's people to greater faith in God's promises.